You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Avengers Endgame. God, it seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave, became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Avengers Endgame, and the story is as follows. Adrift in space with no food or water, Tony Stark sends a message to Pepper Potts as his oxygen supply starts to dwindle. Meanwhile, the remaining Avengers, Thor, Black Widow, Captain America, and Bruce Banner, must figure out a way to bring back their vanquished allies for an epic showdown with Thanos, the evil demigod who decimated the planet and half the universe. The film is starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Paul Rudd, Brie Larson, Karen Gillan, Denai Guerrero, Bradley Cooper, Josh Brolin, and a slew of others. The film is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Celia Shalekaway. Hey, guys. Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Nicole Ackman. I have still not stopped crying. And here to also provide some outside thoughts from the Next Best Picture team, we decided to assemble, if you will, Ryan McQuaid from In Session Film. How's it going, everybody? And from Real Spoilers, Kevin Brackett. Hey, everyone. All right. Good morning, all. This is it. We're in the endgame now. We've been waiting for this, oh my God, since Infinity War ended last year with what, in my opinion, has been one of the best cliffhangers in a movie in recent memory. And I want to just start us off with a little bit of context here uh, with an, as it pertains to Avengers Infinity War in that the Russo brothers were very adamant saying that this was not 
supposed to be like a part one, part two kind of a movie experience. They really wanted each film to kind of stand on its own. And I will start us off by saying that I agree that the two films are very different from one another, but I do think now seeing the end of Avengers Endgame, I do believe that as like one giant six-hour movie, it actually follows a pretty basic story structure in terms of rising action, climax, aftermath, and being able to really cohesively have this split into Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, taking both movies as a whole. So, uh, before I get over to what you guys think in regards to that and your general thoughts, I do want to preface by saying that this is spoiler-free. We will go into spoilers a little bit later. Let's start off, first and foremost, with the person who, if I remember correctly, you were doing a bit of a marathon movie watch leading up to Avengers Endgame, Nicole Ackman. What do you have to say about this climactic end to the MCU? Yeah, it was interesting to go into because last weekend I watched um, Age of Ultron, Civil War, and Infinity War um, kind of boom, 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 three days in a row. So I definitely kind of went into it with a very good idea of where Infinity War had left off, and I felt like it did a really good job in picking it up. Um, I cried through this entire movie. I don't think I made it more than like 20 minutes at a time without crying. Uh, I haven't been like this since Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, for people who are fans of the series, I think it's a really beautiful kind of tribute to the characters in many ways. Um, and kind of tribute to what we've we've all gone through collectively together in the last decade. And I think that it has some of the best acting of any Marvel film. And I think that, well, you know, obviously there were uh, so many fan theories about what was going to happen in this film. And some of them are right, a lot of them are wrong, but I think that no matter if you could have predicted some of the plot lines and whatever, there will be so many things to surprise you and shock you and thrill you, and I plan on seeing it again this week. <laughs> okay, let's pass it over now to one of our guests. Kevin, what did you think of Avengers Endgame? I really loved this film. Uh, I've seen it twice now. I'm going back for a third time today. Uh, it At almost three hours, it flies by, and that's the same thing I thought about Infinity War. I think the Russos are masterful in juggling characters and their plot threads, and it's just amazing what they can do with packing so much into a film. And now, whether you want to say it's two films or one long six-hour film, I mean, there is so much going on, but you never feel bogged down or, or or that it gets too messy. It's very cohesive. I think it did. I agree it picked up right where Infinity War left off. And just I was very impressed with um, the direction they took. And, and obviously, we'll get into it more later. But just overall, uh, it went places I didn't think it would go. I didn't know how they were going to handle it. And I am so happy with the way that they handled the characters, uh, the resolution and the conclusion to this 22 film saga. Uh, I think it was beautifully handled. And uh, yeah, the the acting, I, the other thing is the acting, as mentioned before, I very impressed. I mean, we've got some great actors in these films, but uh, in the MCU, you don't generally see this level. And so everyone brought their A game and uh, yeah, cannot wait to get into it more. Okay, let's pass it back over to a member of the Next Best Picture team. Celia, what did you think of Avengers Endgame? Um, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was a fun watch, even though I'm, I'm probably never going to see it again because it was three hours long and 
I don't need to sit through it. <laughs> but um, I've, I've never been like a huge Marvel person. I've seen probably about half of the ones that have come out. And it's definitely my interest has definitely dwindled over recent years. But this was one of the best ones I've seen recently. Um, I'm really glad that I saw it. I thought it was really appropriate. But I do a little bit disagree with the standalone thing that the Russo brothers were going for. If I hadn't have seen Infinity War last year, I would have been pretty lost on like what was really at stake in this one. And um, even me having seen about half of them, a lot of the like really deep, impactful fan service moments were kind of, they weren't lost on me in the theater, but as the as my day went on, because I saw it at like 9.30 in the morning yesterday, as my day went on, I kind of like struggled to remember what what happened, like, like what was that moment? But overall, I really enjoyed my time with it. Um, I totally see why fans of Marvel are going to die over this thing. Uh, but for me, it was just like a fun blockbuster that I saw once and I'm like happy I did. Just curious, actually, uh, bouncing off of that, because Avengers Endgame does act as an ending for this phase of the MCU. And uh, just from just personal question here, um, will you continue watching the Marvel films or would you rather, since your interest is waning, just kind of leave it off with Endgame and you know what I mean? Well, I'll probably approach it the way I have like recently, which is just like if it's if it seems interesting and unique, then I'll probably see it. Like I saw the new Spider-Man. I've always loved Ant-Man. So I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. I saw Black Panther because it was like a huge cultural moment. So, I'll pro but I like, I didn't see Thor, um, like Thor Ragnarok. I've never seen a Thor movie. I've only seen one Captain America movie and I didn't like it. And so like for, for me, I'll probably just like do what I have been doing and pick and choose based on like what seems interesting because i don't think all of the marvel franchises are made equal like i think some yeah. are definitely better than others so if i if i'm interested in it then i'll see it but i just don't anticipate being interested in all of them <laughs> and with avengers endgame in general as someone who speaking from my own personal standpoint here i've only seen some of the mcu films once like thor of a dark world um i finally watched ant-man i still have not seen ant-man and the wasp uh but i i had a general understanding and i guess um more so than any other film before it avengers endgame actually alludes to i think almost every single one of the 21 films that preceded it and you're right celia that if you're not at least somewhat familiar with certain aspects of those previous films there are a few moments in this that for the diehards, they're going to fully embrace. But uh, for us casuals and many other areas, they might be totally lost. Ryan, going over to you then, uh, which are you? Are you a casual? Are you a diehard? What did you think of Avengers Endgame? Well, I think I'm kind of in the middle of a casual and a diehard. I mean, I don't know how you can get in the middle of that, but I think I kind of am. I mean, I've seen every single one of these films. Um, and mostly because my wife is a huge comic book fan she really is and this is really in her wheelhouse and over time i've grown and to love them as well 
Um, there are some films, I think in phase two, we can all kind of agree. Phase two is probably where it, it wanes for some people. And I think oh, yeah. f- phase three since Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, or for some people even Civil War, that's where it's really picked up in terms of Marvel's creativity, in terms of their innovation. And, you know, they've they've done Black Panther and Captain Marvel and a, and probably one of the best Spider-Man movies of all time. And and they, they've been more consistent of late. And then, of course, they brought us Infinity War last year, and and it was a very impressive film that we all had skepticism because, you know, we read the contracts and all the disputes and, and, and whatnot and, who oh, who's going to be next? And I think I just kind of took that out of my mind because I was just like, I just want to enjoy this movie. We're not going to get a movie like this ever again. Talk about a movie that is 11 years, 21 films into the making. You have the actors that generally love these characters finally, you know, paying off them in such fantastic ways due to the screenwriters and the Russo brothers who did a fantastic job with this film. I was super surprised by it, not just by the surprises in the film, but just how technically Marvel uh, of it is. It, it is, is, it's beautiful. And I'm with Nicole. I was tearing up in a lot of ways throughout this movie that we'll talk about later. Um, you know, you mentioned, Matt, the payoffs of films like Ant-Man and the Wasp and Thor Ragnarok and Doctor Strange. Like, all those films that are lesser MCU films get, you know, kind of plot holes filled in or things paid off in really interesting ways. This film is really ballsy and really takes a chance. And for a movie that's three hours, like Kevin said, it goes by real quick. I love this movie. And Us was my number one film of the year so far. And I think Avengers Endgame, and this is surprising, and I and, and I told my wife after this, I'm, and I'm shocked I'm saying this, I think this might be my favorite film of the year so far. Wow. I think this might have passed Us. And I never thought I'd be saying that this early in the game, but, I mean, this movie is impressive. It's a very impressive film. Okay. And Katie, did it impress you as much as uh, Captain Marvel did, actually, only a few short weeks ago? Uh, Definitely. You know, I rewatched all the films leading up to this. Um, I'm a a big Marvel fan. I have a lot of familiarity from about 10 years of reading Marvel comics. And I was just so impressed with how they managed to wrap so many plot threads together that started 11 years ago because I watched this in I watched rewatched all the films in chronological order to the time frame in the in and when I did it like that I noticed that Captain America is the first film if you watch them that way and you can see the growth of all of these characters and some of their stories you know come together in the end and you see in the end of this movie and you see them go from being pretty flat characters that are kind of have a couple of points to them, but that's it. And in this movie, they allowed them to really bloom and become far more impressive and fully realized people. And I loved this movie. I was so happy. I'm seeing it again tomorrow with my kid. And I just was blown away at how well they were able to do it. I told a bunch of friends, it's kind of like reading the last Harry Potter book. Yeah. With how mm-hmm. how magical it is at the end as you're reading that book, you're like, oh my God, she's been setting this up for 
years. <laughs> and then you're watching Endgame, and I had that same feeling of like, oh, wow, they've really been pulling this all together. And now we see, you know, the final, or well, not the final, but this masterwork of a story. I will say, too, just on the back of that, it felt very much like the experience in the cinema reminded me of seeing Deathly Hollows Part 2. And oh, that, yes. you know, there was so much reaction to the film going on. People, I could, like, hear audible crying throughout the theater. Um, and also just that, that communal experience of something that we'd all been involved in for so long, you know, kind of coming to a close. Even though, like with Harry Potter, there are the the new set of movies um, but it's it's not the same thing. It's not the same kind of through line that we've we've all been involved with. You know, and just tying together what you just said there, Nicole, into my own thoughts, Avengers Endgame, I read this amazing piece by Matt Zoller Seitz where he talked about how with the end of Avengers Endgame and this wrap-up of this phase of the MCU and uh, Game of Thrones also coming to an end this year, it feels like an era of pop culture over the last decade in both film and television is going away. And we're heading into unknown territory and what that means for us as far as the future of Marvel. And while I have no doubt that Kevin Feige has plans for how he's going to continue, I don't think that he's going to rehash uh, the concept that he did here where it's kind of a build-up over however many films to one giant one at the end and then they enter into another phase again. I think they're going to think outside the box in different ways how to tell these stories but still within a shared universe. <laughs> With that said, I don't have as much faith in other movie studios. I think they're all going to try to replicate Marvel's formula and success as they have been trying to do now over the last couple of years with Universal's The Dark Universe, DC's uh, Extended Universe, and so on and so forth. Um, and I don't think that anyone's ever going to be able to replicate what Kevin Feige has done in guiding this ship, uh, the journey, if you will, towards the end, uh, which is something that Tony talked about in this movie and uh, in the trailer. So I'm not spoiling anything. He does say that part of the journey is the end. And we have to come to grips, I guess, with this movie, that this is the end of a lot of different story arcs for these characters that began so many years ago. And in some cases, um, I don't remember who just said it. I apologize. I'm not like writing down notes as you're all speaking, but uh, someone mentioned um, about in like inconsequential films that maybe were considered you know, like lesser MCU movies, like Door of a Dark World, for example. Um, there are tiebacks to that film here, and I'm like, crap, I really wish I had rewatched a lot of these <laughs> leading up to this again. But I still got the concept of it all. Uh, with that said, as we're about to now get into not spoiler specifics, but just more general specifics, um, I do want to start us off by saying that the first hour because i do believe this movie is kind of divided into its hours first hour second hour third hour the first hour of avengers endgame is unlike any other marvel film that i've seen before i actually think that is the thing that makes this movie so special because they're the, the characters that are left after the snap and in infinity war are dealing with something we've never seen them come to grips with before and that is their own failure yeah, yeah. i totally i totally agree with that matt and i was listening to the slash film cast last night because they had like a two and a half hour like review of this and i don't think we'll Holy be crap. going that long yeah no, they i don't did think this. we're gonna go that long either. yeah we're not gonna go that long <laughs> but when they were talking about the first hour and i loved the first hour of this film 
they said it reminded them a lot of The Leftovers on HBO, the Damon Lindelof series. Oh. And I totally was thinking that. As somebody that's seen that entire series, you know, basically a series about people vanishing (laughs) and having to pick up the pieces and, and move on. Had totally felt like that, and there are moments in here that I I can't also obviously get into specifics because we're not doing spoilers yet. That tore my heart to pieces, and I'm just thinking about them right now. It's almost bringing me to tears. Um, just just the way that the Russo brothers conveyed tone throughout this entire film, but especially within this first act, knowing that the stakes have to be built up, and knowing that we we have a mission later on, but showing those quieter moments. I think that. Infinity War is about the war, and I think that when we talked about these two films being separate, I think that they are separate. I think this, the first film is about preventing this war or trying to win this war, and I think this is about regret. It is about trying to build upon the you know the legacy of the past and bring it back, and at whatever cost, and learning from mistakes. It's about family. Uh, and no, it's not a Fast and Furious film, so it's it's, but it's you know, it's it's better than that, uh, in terms of that, and um, you know, it's, it's really touching. And this first hour, especially, sets us up for something that I think is unlike any Marvel film. Like you said, it it finally has emotional stakes to it. Something that critics of this series, including myself, has said is that this franchise has been basically at times like The Walking Dead where the story repeats itself over and over again and there's no stakes, there's no risk, there's no cost to any of these films prior. And this film within the first hour says, oh yeah, there's stakes, you better believe it. It also gives us a unique opportunity to to really dive deep into the characters in that first hour. And I think it actually provides the core cast members, the original Avengers, if you will, uh, that is Evans, Downey, Hemsworth, Ruffalo, Johansson, and Renner, an opportunity to really dig deep into their characters, where they're at at this point in the story, and provide some of them, especially Downey, uh, some of the best work I've seen them do in the MCU, and even in some cases their career. I will say that I think that this is easily the best thing they've ever given Jeremy Renner to work with. I've always felt like they kind of gypped him in the movies because I think it's a really interesting character. I love Hawkeye. I think he has great dynamics, but it always kind of feels like he ends up being kind of shuffled to the side. And I think in this film, for the first time, we really get to see him at the center, um, you know, of a lot of the emotional stakes and a lot of the... uh, Does it make sense if I say the emotional action like, he he finally really gets to do some great acting in it, I think. Although, I will say that I do think that even though his character does go to a very interesting place in this movie, I felt that the darker elements were resolved maybe a little too quickly. Does anyone agree or disagree with that? I well, agree. I, I, you know, the thing is with this movie going into it, I was really worried with how they were going to handle the original team because we've introduced so many characters over the past decade. And so obviously with the events that happened in Infinity War, we knew that we were going to lose focus on some of the newer ones. But still, you don't know if they're going to come back, when they're going to come back, and you don't know how big of a part they're going to play. And so I was really happy with how they focused in and gave them their due. 
And especially, you know, like you're all saying with Hawkeye, he he's such a kind of a forgotten side Avenger, but he was there in the beginning and uh, they really keep, you know, putting him on the back burner. And I think this was kind of a, a makeup for what they did in Infinity War in the last few films where it's like, where's Hawkeye? Where's Hawkeye? And we, we get, uh, you know, he's the main focus of a lot of this movie. And I think some of his parts are the most emotional parts in the film and they really worked for me. I will say in regards to that, that while I do think that the first portion of that character's darker elements are resolved a little too quickly for my taste, I will admit that the way that they do eventually tie it back together as far as a form of redemption for the character um, and how that ties to, I'm, I'm being very vague here, another character <laughs> in the movie, I thought was quite powerful. Yeah. So, so even though I thought the journey was maybe a little rocky for him specifically, the payoff was very, very worth it. I think Hawkeye is someone that, as a Marvel character, he's always been kind of on the side. He's, you know, a small group of fans' favorite. But I do think, in particular, his character is given a lot of for a lot of throwback to his comics because for those fans, uh, there were so many moments of like oh my God, they're going to do this. You know, he takes on another role in this film that he has historically taken on in the comics. And so I think a lot of that was kind of shorthanded for fans. You know, for those people who know, they were like, oh, I know what this is all about. And for people who didn't, they kind of tried to explain it a little bit, but there's not enough time, regardless of the three-hour running time, to really get into it. So I think they tried to shorthand it. And I think it was, in the beginning part, it worked with mixed success. And then as the story continued, I agree, they really made it a lot more powerful how they handle his character. I actually want to continue this theme maybe of kind of uh, jumping from character to character and giving a vague description before we get into spoilers later. Um, and what I'd like to do uh, in kind of jumping off from, since we're talking about Hawkeye, is talk about the other forgotten character in Avengers Infinity War, and that is Scott Lang, oh. a.k.a. Ant-Man, and how you, we all felt he was handled in this movie. I loved well, it. I personally just love Ant-Man as a character in general. Like, he's always been my favorite ever since his first movie came out. Um, and I think the way they handled him kind of from beginning to end was like, just so redemptive for, <laughs> for him just becoming like uh, an Avenger that, that matters, <laughs> you know, especially after, yeah. especially after civil war and like how kind of pawn -y he ended up becoming in that. Um, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, I think they handled Ant-Man really great and they gave him, they gave him enough time that I felt like they fully like understood and realized his motivations in his actions for the movie without making it feel like, you know, forced or like time was taken away from other characters or other things like that. No, they found a great way to work that character actually into the plot. And like you said, Celia, he's not so much side character in this as at least as i thought he was going to be because yeah ant-man is considered maybe one of the quote-unquote lesser mcu characters and and listen i'm sorry if i'm jumping around maybe a little too quickly here but there's a lot to get through one of the other maybe lesser mcu characters who was also left behind uh, after the snap in infinity war and there was a bit of a trade-off here which i was not expecting but holy hell did it work for me 
as much as Infinity War focused surprisingly on Gamora and her relationship to Thanos, this film really focused on Nebula with the exact same degree of her relationship to Thanos. And I, I have to say, I was very thoroughly impressed with the balance that they offered uh, both of those characters in both films. Yeah, it was great. I, you know, that was one thing I did not expect was was the Nebula storylines and and uh, with her being around. I honestly, I hadn't rewatched Infinity War. I saw it three times in theaters a year ago and watched it when it came out on Blu-ray. But I honestly wasn't even thinking about Nebula or what part she would play in this film. And so uh, I think they did handle that really well. And we did get to see the other side that we always knew that Gamora was Thanos's favorite, but this film showed us kind of how that played out and how the two worked uh, before Guardians of the Galaxy. When Marvel movies can do that, like make you forget about this relationship and then like really, but still like thoroughly set it up and bring it to the forefront. Um, I think that's when it's at its best. Yeah, because we're not expecting the payoff and uh, the fact that they remind us, hey, no, no, we've had a plan since the beginning. Like this has all been roadmapped. It's like, Holy hell, we got to give these guys a little bit more credit than we're giving, maybe. You know, I mean, really I think they're getting plenty through. of credit. I don't think they're not getting credit. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, well I, I say that I, I say that only because I do believe that there is a segment of the world out there who still views these movies as lesser, uh, not entertainment, but just lesser forms of art. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I definitely think that, especially in phase. Phase, phase three, right? It's phase three we're in yeah, technically. Yeah, we're in phase three I think still. in phase three, as uh, Ryan said before, with the inclusion aspects of Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and being able to tell unique storytelling and pushing other characters forward, such as Thor um, and Captain America, beyond that kind of basic blockbustery initial setup these characters were given, it really has all culminated with Avengers Endgame and really crystallized that there was actual growth, maturity, and it's just gotten better as it's gone along, in my opinion. You can't go out on a higher note than this. I think their first their first entry into this, which was Cap Civil War, or excuse me, Winter Soldier, uh, I watched that movie... I don't even know how many times I've seen it. And I... Wait, I'm sorry. First Avenger or Winter Soldier? Winter Soldier is their first... Is the Russo brothers' first step into this Oh, oh, the Russo brothers. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so they... That movie shows the difference. Like, if you watch that movie, you see how good they are at telling these kinds of stories and bringing depth and substance to them outside of what is usually thought of as a comic book movie, which I think is why people who don't watch these films and aren't very interested in superhero movies, which nothing wrong with that. If it's not your cup of tea, don't drink it. But that is where things really start to change is with Winter Soldier. And I think you can't also disregard the movie that follows that, Guardians of the Galaxy, which pretty much set the tone for the entire universe to come after that. See how much influence that has on everything to come. Right. With Winter Soldier, I think think that's where the Marvel Universe changes. Yeah, absolutely. That's, That's where it goes from being kind of formulaic a little bit and everything kind of feels samey. With Winter Soldier, they the MCU embraced this idea of letting their directors set the tone of the film. And then I think since Winter Soldier worked so well, it was a really beloved film, they took a bigger chance with 
you know, James Gunn and said, go for it. Let's see how far you can push this. And then that one is just so different than everything else that had come before it that I think that one is really thought of as the first change. But really, as someone who just watched all of these films in the past month, uh, <laughs> Winter Soldier is where things really start to become unique with each story. You start to see that use of uh, hyperkinetic action in terms of the hand-to-hand combat, uh, which I think the Russo brothers have uh, employed better than almost every other director probably uh, in the franchise. And you also too see this embrace of, we're not just telling a superhero origin story, which has been done to death at this point. We're now going to take other genres of filmmaking. In the case of Winter Soldier, it was a spy thriller. And we're going to integrate that into... Um, each one of these movies that, well, weren't necessarily origin movies, uh, but with like Avengers Endgame, I was trying to like think to myself, what does this most remind me of? Like, what is uh, the the framework that Avengers Endgame is working upon? And Deathly Hollows Part 2 was brought up before. I also will go so far as to say, holy hell, I can't believe I'm comparing this, but Return of the King. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, the redemption. Yeah. The, there's that, this epic like grandeur to everything, you know, and this, uh, this full feeling of closure and finality that you often don't get in movies but you often get in television you know in terms of telling a long epic story and i i have to say you know like i said in, in terms of just comparing this to game of thrones which hasn't ended yet but i have to feel like the feeling is going to be very very similar between the two i think i think it's interesting because you know i've seen the majority of Marvel movies. Um, and I've seen all of Game of Thrones. But watching this season of Game of Thrones makes me like, man, I really want to go back to the beginning and watch it all straight through once it's all over to catch on all these little things. But watching Endgame did not make me feel that way. Like, it did not okay. make me be like, mm. I want to, like, experience every ounce of this. It... it it didn't really hit me like that. Qu- and question about that, actually, because I've seen a couple people complain about this. Uh, Celia, would you say it was the maybe the um, would you say it was something to do maybe with the pacing of Endgame? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not like a friendly movie in the sense that like it certainly does ask a lot of its audience members to like you know, they're going to tell their story and you're going to deal with it. If, if you... Yeah, because I do believe that they're at a point in their storytelling, and I think we said this last year on Infinity War, that if you're not bought in at this point, there's no catch-up. There's no recap. There's, like, you you need to know the story at this point. And if you don't, um, I can understand how it, the emotional connection aspect may not be there as much. But I've heard some people complain, and I think we're all in agreement here that that first hour of Avengers Endgame and how contemplative and reflective it is actually kind of elevates the movie to that high art status where Infinity War did just feel like a smash em, rock em, sock em blockbuster throughout its entire runtime. So many battles and so much happening. But Endgame really puts the brakes on things and doesn't do that. I, I, I was completely shocked for a three-hour movie that uh, yeah. nearly the first half was almost deprived of action. But I mean, character building. I think that by the yeah. end, because here's the thing. Yes, they spend the first hour being very contemplative. They don't spend the last hour being very contemplative. And if this were a regular film, you know, where like if it's a 90 minute, if it's a 90 minute film, but proportionally the same 
you know, structure, then maybe it'd be a bit easier in our, you know, in, in the last half hour of a movie to think back and be like, oh yeah, remember, remember this buildup and remember how contemplative it was at the beginning But by hour three, it's like, you're very deep in it. So, so to me, I didn't leave the theater being like, wow, that was so thoughtful. <laughs> I left it being like, wow, that's so epic. But it, it could be overwhelming, I suppose, is maybe the word uh, to describe it. Well, to your, to your point, and you guys hit the nail on the head earlier, this is not a film for the casual viewers. This yeah. is a love letter to the fans. This is the 22nd movie in a story, not the 22nd Bond film, not the 22nd in a franchise, just generically. This is the 22nd part of a film. Like It's it's insane what they're doing here. And so, yeah, if you're not on board at this point, it, it's like, no offense, they're not trying to alienate anyone, but they've been building this story up for over a decade. And so, uh, you know, they don't have time to catch people up, and they want to pay fan service like we're all here for the fan service and uh, i think they handle that beautifully by referencing every single other film and uh you know that may lose the casual viewer but for the people that have seen all of them and studied them and podcasted and and dissected them it's like wow i cannot believe they paid homage to all of these films and told this story and wrapped it up with you know beautifully the way they did so i i think this is just such a uh tribute to the fans i will say I haven't seen every film, um, haven't been able to bring myself to watch the Hulk movie. <laughs> Can't really care if it's not Mark Ruffalo. Don't um, watch it. It's so bad. It's not trash. Which, and that's just like, I literally have the first Ant-Man movie loaded onto my computer, ready to go. I just need to find the time. Um, but I think even like, if you've seen the main, what I like, it sounds bad to be like the main ones. Um, then I think it still can be very effective, but I do agree that like this isn't meant for the average viewer. This is meant for the fans. And to me, it really feels like a love letter to the fans, but also a love letter in many ways to Robert Downey Jr. and the way that he has been at the heart this entire kind of, you know, decade. Um, and especially in that it gives him so much to do do and it kind of it, it feels like there's a very like real connection between the fans and the character of Tony Stark in this film. Yeah. I think the other thing that we're that the perspective is thrown off by this is because these are superhero films. So people think of them as like, oh well you should just be able to watch this and be fine. But we wouldn't say that again, not to bring it up again, but we wouldn't say that about the seventh Harry Potter movie or the eighth one. Mm -hmm. Because it's a it's long running story, and I think these fall into that category far more than the others. And I do think that this isn't just a love letter to the fans. This is a love letter to comic books in general because this is how comic book stories are told. Like if you have like the Infinity Saga that this is kind of very loosely based on, um, they spread this they spread the stories out through six, seven, eight, sometimes more comic lines. So not only is it in Spider-Man and X-Men and you know all of these things, and you have to read all of them to get this full picture. And that is kind of what I felt like and was so pleased about was that this felt like reading a comic book. And that's something that we haven't seen before. And you guys have been mentioning Game of Thrones. I mean, last week's episode of Game of Thrones was criticized by a lot of people online unjustly, in my opinion, because 
oh, well, all these meetups and all these character things and all this, it's all fan service before the big battles and stuff. Yeah. The last two episodes of Game of Thrones felt like the first two hours of this film. And then the episode we're getting this weekend of Game of Thrones is this big hour and a half long battle sequence that is very reminiscent of the third act of this movie. And I think that what the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been is a 22 film episodic television event put on with $200 million budgets and done with, at times, not the best episodes, but overall the story itself has been very good. It's been very solid and it pays off this idea of fan service. I hate that word because I think it's another slap in this film's face. This film does it progressively the way I think you would want a film like this to be. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be a bad thing to have payoffs to characters that have been around 11 years or been around five years. I mean, that's the greatest thing about the Russo brothers and the, and the screenplay that they also get by these screenwriters. They give the time to the biggest characters that we've had for 11 years and pay them off perfectly. But they have probably the more important characters to each story, both Infinity War and Endgame be smaller characters that we've gotten over the last couple of years. It, I mean, this is great storytelling. This is exactly what you want out of any kind of television series or any kind of franchise. And just like in Harry Potter, there are payoffs from the beginning of those books that pay off at the end. Um, it, it To me, I, I don't see the criticisms made by many on the whole fan service-y kind of thing or that this film doesn't have any emotional stakes or this film isn't as, you know, the throw off lines that I think a lot of people have been trying to make the same kind of things that were said about, and I'm not comparing the two films. It's kind of the same thing that was said about the dark Knight, right? That why it didn't get done. Oh, it's just a comic book movie. Oh, it's just a Batman movie. No, that, there's more to that movie and there's more to this movie. And, and, and that's coming from a guy that's not the hugest Marvel fan. So I think if, I think it was a little unfair that I saw like recaps of, cause I saw this at an Alamo draft house and they did recaps to each face before the film. So I was pretty caught up. So, and I think most of our audience was pretty caught up. So I know that's not for everybody, but I mean, um, like Kevin was saying, if, if you're going to the 22nd installment of a film and you're not caught up or, you know, fully invested and there's a lot of stuff in there for everyone that has seen that, I, I'm sorry, but I don't know what you wanted out of that. 22nd film yeah I think it's fine I just don't want and like honestly what scared me off of like seeing more Marvel movies especially recently is just the fan base like it's not a very like mm. pleasant space to be in and so to me it's like don't make a film that you want to be a huge cultural moment and then and I'm not saying that people are doing this I'm just like bracing for impact essentially mm. but like They've made a film that they want to be a huge cultural moment and people who are casual fans are going to go and see it. And it's like, and it might get these criticisms. And I think yeah. those criticisms are fair criticisms for the people who don't have the experience of understanding everything. And that doesn't make it less important or less good. But to those people, those criticisms are valid. And so I, I'm just kind of bracing for impact on like the fan base side because when people hate Marvel movies, 
it can get a little bit ugly. <laughs> no, I, I will yeah. say I that in regards that. to faults for Endgame, if there are any, which I don't think anyone here is going to sit here and say that it's perfect. No. But I think that the valid things to criticize about Endgame are more pertained to, hey, listen, it's three hours long. If the pacing felt a little off to you at times or didn't necessarily meet your expectations, I can get down with that criticism. You want to get down with the criticism that the plot has, quote unquote, plot holes. I'm willing to hear that argument. <laughs> I will not, I will not justify the argument of fan service because of the emotional investment that Ryan talked about earlier. And I'm really, really, really tired of that argument, not just with um, Game of Thrones, but now with Mm -hmm. Avengers Endgame. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. that's the whole point of this is paying off the characters, the storylines, the emotional investment of the fans, the love letter, not just to the characters, but to us. And so, with that said, Avengers Endgame takes us on an emotional roller coaster of a journey. It starts off very melancholy. It then turns into Inception, almost, yeah, in yeah. its second yeah. act. Yeah. And then in the third act, we get, I, I guess, what you could say is the action of infinity war but with the stakes that yeah. maybe some people were missing in infinity war True. have really come crystallized now in endgame so uh what i'm going to do now at this point is i am going to tr- transition us over to spoiler discussion so we can actually talk about certain characters that we did not get a chance to talk about because it would be considered a spoiler And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some more of the uh, story elements. So before I do that, uh, I do want to get in our grades out of 10 at least so that everyone that's listening can at least, you know, know that from all of us. So, uh, Kevin, let's start off with you. A grade out of 10 and any lingering uh, final thoughts. You don't have to say if you don't want to. You can save it for the spoiler section, but at least a grade out of 10. Sure. Uh, right now, I'm at 8.5 out of 10. Um, I we gotta, don't do 0.5s here. You don't? You got to choose oh, a 9 or an 8. I was just about to justify this. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to lean towards 9 then because I've been okay. I've been struggling with that. Um, I It's not a perfect film, but my complaints are very nitpicky if I even have them. I mean, uh, I can give you reasons why it's not perfect, reasons to take that point off. But again, as a culmination of a 22-film story uh, with, the, with the risks that they took and uh, going the place that I didn't think they would uh, and actually really making you feel emotionally invested in in these characters and um, and uh, the stakes felt real uh, which is with superheroes you don't generally get that and uh, the stakes really felt weir- real with the way they handled these characters and this story so um, I loved it uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for repeated viewings okay Katie what about you great out of 10 oh this is definitely a nine out of ten for me. Um, and I wanted to say about the fan service thing, nobody should make movies for people who don't want to watch them. You shouldn't make movies for your haters. You shouldn't make them for your fans. And that is what I think the Russo brothers did. And they pulled it off so well. And that's why I'm giving this such a high score. Okay. Celia? Um, I gave this an 8 out of 10. I think it was fun. I think if you're not, you know up on the Marvel universe. And if you don't love these characters, you're not going to care about this movie. So just don't bother. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but even if you didn't like infinity war, I didn't like infinity war. Um, you can still find value in this. It's definitely different 
it's a different tone. It has a lot more stakes. So all of that is there. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was fun. But if, like I said, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not a Marvel, if you're not a Marvel person, then don't give in to the hype. <laughs> and, and I just want to just add too, on top of that, that I'm actually really glad Celia that you brought that kind of perspective to this review today because I think if we were all on this review having seen every single Marvel film and so on and so forth it wouldn't have inspired some of the discussion that we just had about the fan base and uh, the casual watchers so I actually appreciate your um, your your perspective on that very very much um, okay Ryan I'm going to give this a film a 9 out of 10 um, it was very tempted to do 10 out of 10 i was very tempted but um i i think i need to see it again maybe one or two more times in order to maybe bump it up or bump it down i just think that we're not going to get a better film experience maybe until december you know when a little film from a galaxy far far away comes in terms (laughs) of wrapping up and having our emotions in a fan and you know in, in a franchise um i love this film I, I, you know, I, I, I think the best thing about this is the people or the experience that you see it around with. My crowd was kind of dull, but I was with my wife and I was with friends of ours from college when we saw some of the original, like when, when we saw the, the, the first kind of Avengers film and when we saw Age of Ultron and when we saw Civil War and when we saw all these things together. And that's an experience I'll never be able to have taken away from me. And there's a lot of great moments in here and I can't wait to talk about them in spoilers. I just will say one thing, and this goes back to um, the kind of fan servicey whole fandom. I, I I do see where Celia is coming from in in that, you know, that there are going to be people that don't like this film, but and there are going to be people that don't like the pacing or they don't like the length or whatever. But I think it's really cool, guys, that in 2019 we have a three-hour epic for our time. Yeah, <laughs> it's rare, right? I just watched. Um, Amadeus for the first time. I know. Sue me. I know. And what I loved about that movie was how long it was because it got to tell the story it wanted to tell. And I think that that's what the Russo brothers got to do more with this film than I think with in Infinity War. I think that they wanted to tell this story a little bit more and had to use, you know, Infinity War as like the appetizer to get to this meal. And... I think it's a great send-off, and I, I, I can't say this enough. If they stopped making Marvel movies at this point, I'd be totally fine with that. Oh, yeah. I think I think that this this is a as perfect of an ending as possible. I know that they won't because, you know, money's king, but I, I, I really would urge them, don't make any more. It's okay. This is this is good enough for all yeah. of us. You can rest now. Yeah, you That's can rest what, now. Yeah. That's a good concern. <laughs> Okay, Nicole? First of all, I'd like to rebut that and say that I need Tom Holland's uh, into his Spider-Man saga. Okay, my (laughs) Um, bad, sorry. Same. (laughs) Um, Yeah, anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while will know that I'm a big Tom Holland fan girl. Um, But I I guess I have two final thoughts. One is that it was a really special experience for me because I went and saw it here uh, in New York where I live at the same time that my family was seeing it back home. And so we got out of the cinema like right at the same time. And I talked to my sister on the phone for an hour and a half. And uh, she had me on speakerphone with my parents. And it was just a really, I think it's a really beautiful thing that families get to share this and friend groups get to share this. And 
you know, kind of that communal thing, like you, uh, somebody was talking about before of getting to experiences with people that you love and care about is something really special, I think. Um, while I was watching the film, at a certain point, I was like, okay, this is an 8 out of 10 for me, because I am a bit of a pretentious intellectual type, and I was like, uh, this logic does not work. Uh, <laughs> But then there was a line that was said, which I will say in a few minutes when we can talk about spoilers, that I think it's the funniest line in the entire movie. And I was like, never mind, that gets a full point. So I'm a nine out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say that when I first walked out of the film and I wrote the review on nextbestpicture.com, I gave it an eight out of ten as well. And I think that this is actually one of those examples where you need time to let it ruminate with you because I have since bumped it up to a 9 out of 10. And initially speaking, I think I had more fun with Infinity War than I did Avengers Endgame. And I think that's what was maybe clouding my judgment on this movie a, a little bit was I equated fun to better. And looking back on it now and really having a perspective on the movie and allowing it to really wash over me, I have bumped it up actually to a 9 out of 10 since then. Uh, I, I think that what the Russo brothers, what Kevin Feige, with everyone, the cast, the crew, I think they've done something truly special here that is not going to be duplicated. Uh, we'll see other epic stories get told in parts like Lord of the Rings, like Harry Potter, um, and also too on television as well. But they will be different stories. I, I think that uh, this is something that is, it's its own unique story with characters that we've grown to really care about. Actors who have really given their all. Are they like Oscar type performances? No, but there are qualities to these characters that uh, have made them very human, relatable, and ultimately something that I think that we should all aspire to in terms of their, uh, hero heroism and uh humanity so i'm giving avengers a nine out of ten also too uh as you all probably know if a film makes me cry that's like an automatic point so i cried i think two times in this movie uh not openly wept but uh, you know like the, the the basic one man tear sort of thing uh and i did get uh choked up emotionally um one was due to sadness the other one was due to sheer epic, um, just oh my god, this is so majestic! Like it, uh -huh. it just brought me to tears. Matt, I'm I was the same way. I completely agree. Like in this movie, I didn't cry as much emotional or like openly out of sadness, but there were so many beautiful moments. And remembering the past ten years of watching these films and the way they culminated in this one, that it was impossible not to get you know a little teary because it was just so beautifully handled. I will say that Thor entering Wakanda in Infinity War was. I think the most cinematic, holy shit, awe-inspiring thing I saw last year in a movie, and I did not think that Avengers Endgame would have a moment that would meet it or exceed it, and I was wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, with that said, we are now going to transition into spoilers for Avengers Endgame, and... For those who have seen the movie, we'll have a little bit of a treat at the end because, yes, we are going to then also dive into the film's Oscar potential as well. So little Easter egg there for those that have seen the movie and we can talk more freely and openly about it and we can then dive into its awards potential. So if you have not seen Avengers Endgame at this point, 
do turn this podcast off. If you have seen Avengers Endgame, keep going forward. There's more to come. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So, uh, let's do this, because we actually... <laughs> there's so much. Um, I, I think it's maybe the easiest way to maybe break this down is to actually talk about the movie chronologically. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, starting off with the cold open oh, before the logo, oh. which is Hawkeye, Clint... Uh, losing his family to the snap. What thoughts do we have on this? I called this. I called this. I was like, this is how I want this movie to start. Uh, Besides, I was like saying, okay, maybe they go into the house and then he walks in and they dust and he sees the dust or whatever. But doing it outside is even crazier because then he's just running around looking for his family. It's so sad. I was like, oh my God. This is how we're starting off this movie. I was like gleeful that I got it right, but I was also like terrified to begin. I, it's like a horror movie at the beginning of this movie. I have him. never openly wept in the first like five minutes of a movie before, and everyone's always like, "Oh, what about up?" And I'm like, "No, that's a nice gentle tear." Mm-hmm. Um, I like <laughs> before they put up the freaking Marvel thing. I was already crying. I was like, "So that's how this is gonna go." All right, thanks, guys. This um, was gutsy. Yeah, it's a good prep for what's coming. It pulls yeah. no punches and lets everyone know, like, okay, guys, get ready. We're real. We're we're in the end game, as it were. I'm just imagining Nicole sitting in the movie theater, just openly sobbing, like, oh, his oh, I was, gone. and there was a small child next to me who fell asleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, but, was not bothered by my sobbing. But you know, the thing is with Infinity War. Uh, I, see, I think this movie, as much as I loved Infinity War, this movie handled the stakes, as I mentioned earlier, so much better. Because, you know, when Infinity War ended, we all know as comics fans, superhero movie fans, we all know that they're not gone forever. I mean, but but when you introduce the movie like this and you're like, wow, this is where they're starting off. And then when things quickly go from this scene to meeting up with Thanos and the way that they dispatch him so quickly, you're like, wow, wait a minute, maybe what's going to happen? You know, they totally throw you a loop with how dire the consequences are of Thanos' actions. And the first hour of this movie, I absolutely loved. And and I think it was such a gutsy proposition to do it this way and really, uh, really set the tone, like you said, for what was to come. Yeah, it felt like once um, Thor decapitates Thanos and we all as audience members are like, wait a minute, what is this movie about? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it felt very much like we were heading into unknown territory. And then when that graphic just comes up on the screen and it says five years later, I was like, oh, my God, they are really going to explore the characters and how they've changed since then. This is this is a this is amazing. Yeah. And some of it is done for hilarity purposes like Hulk or Thor. Uh, but others such as Natasha Romanoff and uh, Steve Rogers, it's. It's really dramatic and heavy stuff. I think it's a way to push the stakes. Like everyone said, or the critics said that, you know, there's no stakes to the film because, you know, people are going to come back. But as a comic fan, you should really be thinking, how are they going to fix this? Because that's Mm -hmm. the interesting part of it. But it makes it so there are stakes, even though you know, they, they do end up bringing people back. Like that doesn't erase the pain and the, 
mental issues, the PTSD that everybody in the world has because they saw this whole thing happen and had to live with it for five years. That that mm -hmm. doesn't get erased. And when you say the PTSD too, um, three characters I thought really exemplified that very well. I, I said earlier that I didn't really buy the whole Hawkeye uh, aspect of it, but three moments in the movie uh, was Natasha's conversation with uh, Steve oh. and how she's been dealing with it. Um, Thor's reaction to hearing just the very name of Thanos, yeah. where he goes from just like this, you know, goofball comedy, Chris Hemsworth to, oh my God, like he was deeply hurt and traumatized by the events of five years ago. And Robert Downey Jr., when he has that breakdown with uh, Chris Evans and going back to the conflict they had in Civil War, and it's like, if you had just done what I had said with putting a shield around the earth, none of this would have happened. And, you know, he like he collapses. I was like, wow, this is really powerful stuff. Yeah. I do want to say that I really felt they did the character of Thor and also Chris Hemsworth as an actor dirty in this film. I didn't like the <laughs> yeah. entire Thor plotline. I really hated them playing alcoholism as a joke um, and kind of, you know, that he he. The you know they kind of I feel like they play the way that he's dealing with his PTSD as a joke the entire time, which also sucks because Thor is the one character in this who, you know, yes, he has people of Asgard who can come back if everything can be reversed, but Thor has already lost everything in a fairly irreversible way. Like, mm. you know, his yeah, family think, wasn't lost. You think in the he snap. could handle it better? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that for I, him, there's no hope, and I I didn't like how they they dealt with that by kind of just making him the butt of all the jokes. See, I didn't feel that way at all. I felt the opposite. And like they set it up that Thor isn't going to be able to handle this in Infinity War when he turns to Rocket and says, "What more could I lose?" Mhm. Mm and then That's true. Mm. Well, you could lose everything, my friend. <laughs> and he does. And I think they play they do use the alcohol and his weight gain and all of that and they look at it as this is how he's collapsed and while at times it's used as a jokey thing it's also something that they don't ever erase it he's still like that throughout the whole thing and yeah but when when is it serious like you say sometimes yeah. it's a joke but when is it not a joke i think it's only not a joke in that one moment when they go to him and they say uh, i can't remember what they say but just danos's name gets mentioned and you could see in chris hemsworth's eyes the pain that he felt from Thanos. And he even says, I think he says something like, don't. Like, don't, well, no, like, yeah. don't even mention that name But what to does me. that have to do with alcoholism and weight gain? I just wanted them to actually deal with that in a more serious way because I think that's that's a very real reaction that a lot of people I, have. I think I know what would have fixed that. I think if they just hadn't done that Thor and they just kept Chris Hemsworth regular build, maybe with the beard too and everything, yeah. that would have been okay but the fact that it's played up for jokes so much those are the consequences though and it's not played for a joke with chris hemsworth but why couldn't it have been like more emotional consequence instead of physical so yes. i think i think I the think emotional he... consequences come later in the film i think and that he the has emotional the emotional consequences, consequences. well don't, didn't you all think that seeing fat four fighting in the third act was a little just distracting at times though I, everyone no. in my theater kept laughing Everyone yeah, everybody laughed the whole time. Even in serious moments when they I saw didn't. his belly, people laughed. Like and, I mean, and his there's... drunkenness and the thing is his drunkenness, I would think it's fine for him to be a drunk if his drunkenness will affect things. <laughs> like 
His drunkenness never got in the way of their plan. Oh, it, it was did only... when he was talking no, about... Uh... when he was talking about the stone, but then yeah. it still worked, didn't it? Like, they still somehow <laughs> got the information that they needed. It's not it like it's not like their plan failed because he gave them poor information. You know what I mean? Like, like anytime his drunkenness came up, people laughed at it, and then it never had, like, an actual plot consequence. Well, there are no like accounting for audiences. There's no accounting for audience reactions. I have seen audiences laugh at things that mm-hmm. I personally was like, what are you laughing at? When I went to see the Jackie Chan, the Foreigner movie, every time he appeared on screen, people laughed. Even the scene where he is hugging his dead daughter, people took everything for a joke. So there's no accounting for audience reactions. It's whether or not the filmmakers are intending it to be that way. And I think they walk a fine line of trying to show the consequences of Thor losing everything and how he dealt with that. And if you look at how Thor reacts to things, he is severely affected and he doesn't find it amusing at any point in the film. He's the one who has to face the real physical and I think if they had kept him in his usual body, then it wouldn't have been, then there is no effect. He still has to deal with how he looks and mm-hmm. how he feels. I will put a final note on this before we transition to another character and just say I, I do prefer the version of Thor in terms of the inner tur- turmoil and pain that was presented in Infinity War um, more so than this one because, I there yes, I I'm one of those people that at times I couldn't take it seriously um, because I did feel like it was played too much for laughs uh, and that contrasted a little tonally with the melancholy feeling that they were going for with this. But another character that does undergo a very serious change from Infinity War is Hulk, who oh man, I never thought I would see a dabbing Hulk in my life. <laughs> Living his best life, truly. Yeah. In terms of like cap- uh, motion capture and how they do like Josh Brolin in Infinity War, I was uh, very impressed with how much the... Uh, facial uh, capture and the performance of Mark Ruffalo really came through in Hulk with with this. Uh, and I and I actually liked that uh, Hulk was articulate and talking and that bumbling Mark Ruffalo. But once again, you know, the question then has to be asked. Hulk is supposed to be this very intimidating, uh, strong force. But here, uh, did anybody else, like same thing with Dwarf, get a little off-put by the, you know, intellectual hulk so to speak i didn't mind the intellectual thing i it i was a little bit uncomfy with the fact that it was like sexy hulk and i was like just give me (laughs) i don't want want sexy hulk i'm uncomfortable yo sexy hulk and sexy thanos yeah like thank you i have chris evans that's all i need for sexy in this movie um can we move on (laughs) that's america's ass i think there were were just some up a point there were just some Hulk jokes that didn't land that well. Like, like when yeah. they're when they're eating in the diner, and the kids come up to take a picture with him, and Ant Man says like, "Oh, do you want to take a picture with me? I'm Ant Man." And like, it's like a full forty five seconds of them going back and forth, like, "Take the picture." No, don't take the picture. Like, oh, that I was, was a great bit. That played really funny. well for us. I thought it was funny. Yeah. It was just so long, and I was like, "I agree." Ah, and then and then it's moments like that where I'm wondering like. This is a three-hour movie. <laughs> like, does this whole scene need to be in it? <laughs> no, I agree, Celia, because I actually, uh, in moments like that, I sometimes say to myself, in the editing room, they're probably accounting for 
the audience reacting yes. and mm-hmm. laughing. And it, it, from a timing standpoint, when does that laugh die down? Because that's then when we need to bring the uh, dialogue back in and fade the joke away. And that was one of those moments. I, I actually agree with you that that maybe went on just a tad bit too long. And that is like the most minor nitpick in the world. But I mm-hmm. do think that for me personally, like I said, I think there's certain characters in this movie that handle the reaction to uh, Thanos and the snap very, very well. And it's actually played for a more melancholy, reflective, serious tone that the movie is going for. But Thor and Hulk for me, I just something, something about it. Uh, just, it, it just didn't feel right at times. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think what was really great with this movie is that, that after all these films, they can still surprise us uh, by going this route with the yeah. Hulk that, you know, they've, they've done this in the comics before and, you know, and, and it's such a storied character and so many things have happened, but they keep pulling up arcs or, or different inspiration from comics that we're maybe not expecting to see. And so I like that they kept us guessing. I mean, all the way back from the very beginning of the movie, when they opened it the way they did and with Thanos's death, I mean, that kept us guessing. And another reason why I think this film is so great, because we went in theorizing everybody for the last year. How is this going to happen? What are they going to do? How are they going to resolve this? And seriously, when I went into the movie after all that theorizing, it was like I had no idea. And and so I loved little changes like that that we didn't expect. And and, you know, I also think you have to remember that this movie, the consequences that they set up and the stakes are real and they're so serious that they don't want this to turn into another Justice League. So they have to offer up that that humor and that levity. And I think that you know, going back to Thor, just as a reference, I I think that's, you know, they chose him and maybe they didn't handle it as well as they could have, but without that or without some kind of a break in in the serious tone, I think that the movie wouldn't be as well received. I think with Hulk, they, that was one of, that's one of the examples of how they tie the end story together. Because in the, when we first see him, you know, Bruce is at war with Hulk and then they kind of form this tentative relationship, a working relationship, as it were. And then in Ragnarok, it is all Hulk, no banner. They have to mm-hmm. go with it. And then in Infinity War, they are at odds completely. And so this is the culmination of that relationship of the two of them coming together and finding uh, a unity within themselves so that they're no longer living this uncomfortable duality where neither one of them gets to be fully themselves anymore i want to say uh too just going back to the uh, chronological uh storytelling here um and also to touching upon what uh kevin was just saying a minute ago about how the movie was surprising at times that the trailers did an amazing job mm-hmm. of Man. hiding the plot from us although they did let some things shine through which did uh put some of the fear rising to rest for example we all knew based on the suits that the characters were wearing wearing in the trailers that uh, something to do with the plot had to deal with uh, the quantum realm and time travel. And this is oh, where we all knew I... it had to do with time travel. I didn't know that. <laughs> that was well, <laughs> most of most of us, most of us, most of us, most of us, like you were maybe. Yeah, but <laughs> but in any event, though, uh, we do get uh, this whole second hour of the movie 
which involves the characters having to go back into previous films mm. to re-get the Infinity Stones because Thanos in the present timeline has destroyed them mm-hmm. and there's no way to reverse the snap. So they have to go back in time, get the stones, bring it to the present day, reverse the snap, and then they have to put the stones back because if they don't, by taking the stones away, there are these alternative timelines that have now been created that need to be set back in place, as Tilda Swinton says to uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. Now, this is like the biggest question of all, I think. Does the explanation for time travel in this movie and how they go about it, does it make sense to you or does it not? No. I have so much with it. I don't think it checks out completely. Here's the well, thing. The first time, yes, Tilda Swinton explains it. But the first time they explain it, it's just Hulk telling everyone, like, word salad of things like, well, but if your past is your past and and you do something in the present, then the present becomes your past. And in the future, you had to have done those things for you to be there. So you can't change the past because your present is blah, blah, blah. And, everybody, and he basically just says... I don't think it works that way. And then says this word salad thing. And everybody just is like, okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to jump into the movie and be like, I'm sorry, you lost me. See, I, <laughs> I was like, I totally got then, that. And then when the Tilda Swinton thing happened, I was like, okay, I kind of get this when they were like, okay, we'll bring the stones back to the moment that we take them. I was like, that's all I needed to know. But well, all this other stuff, I was like, the moment you like logically follow that, it leads to the usual if you change something in the past, it will change the present. Like I was okay with it all until Captain America interacts with past Captain America. And I was like, hold on, this isn't really <laughs> checking out for me anymore. But then he says at his own ass, that's America's ass. And I was like, my rating has gone up by one uh, point. That was the best joke. joke. To time, time travel is always really confusing, and no matter what film you're in, you get into messy situations. It's hard to say for any film like this handled time travel perfectly because it's just so messy, and there are so many exceptions, and also it's something we don't understand. But what this film did, which I thought was really neat, is they invented their own rules. They didn't say, oh, well, we're going to do back to the future. We're going to do if you change the past, your present photo starts fading away. They didn't do back to the future, too. If you change the past, you're going to make a different timeline. They actually said, no, we're going to let the Infinity Stones control the timelines. And so as long as all Infinity Stones are there, you're in the same timeline. And if you remove one, then you make an alternate. So they they just made up their own rules, which, you know, if you're some kind of hardcore time travel enthusiast, maybe you won't like that because it doesn't check out with your theories. But for this film, it's like, well, you can't argue. They literally made up their own rules. So, you know, yeah. I think that that told us. Yeah, that Swinton, was a relief. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so, I mean it there is. Like, thank it, God. It I definitely don't need made to sense once, the future again. Yeah, it definitely made sense once they brought the stones into it. And I was like, okay, I can get behind it now. But yeah. their first, like, touch on it. And I understand why they had to do it because, like, it would make no sense for them to just time travel without thinking about the consequences. So yeah. I get why they had to touch on it at first. But, like, until that point, I was very, like, I don't understand how that's going to work out. That's and... for the, the nerdy. That's for all of us that like to get into these, you know, hardcore conversations about, like, oh, but if he did this, then his future self would do that. Like, I think right. that was for the fans that love that stuff. But but then, yeah, when they rein it in pretty soon after there, it was a relief. I love that Rhodes brings up the whole... 
let's just go back and kill baby Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Ruffalo's like, dude, that's horrible. So dark. <laughs> that moment, though, with, with Bruce kind of feels like what we've gotten several times throughout this universe, which is where Bruce Banner goes in this explanation and everyone's kind of like, uh-huh, okay, yeah, sure, we'll do it. I don't know what you meant, but okay. <laughs> Because that that is Bruce Banner. That also ties into um uh, what, what the hell is his name? Oh, Tony Stark. That that ties into uh when Tony is trying to figure out like the time travel bit, and there's no like real. I, I kind of hated how easy that was, uh, and how he just kind of like figured yeah. it out. It Invert seemed the on Mobius like the first trip. try. I mean, yeah. I think we're kind of. I think though we're kind of forgetting a big part here, and that is the, the introduction of. And I think we might have touched on this, and and I think, but I think this is so critical. Is before Tony can figure all this this stuff out, we have Scott Lang come back, and when he comes back, one of the most emotional bits of this movie with him going to that wall of, of all the names. Oh God! Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah! And mm-hmm. kind of like himself. a 9/11 memorial, only it's like yeah. a Infinity War memorial there in San Francisco. And then running and seeing his name, running to the house, finding his daughter, oh. um, you know, it, it that I wept so hard. And I like Ant-Man in those films. I actually like Ant-Man and the Wasp a little bit more than the first Ant-Man. And, but to know that he lost five years of his of his life with his daughter. Um, by the way, no no love for Judy Greer and, and Bobby Cannavale. Okay, that's fine. Um, but um, <laughs> um, just pointing it out there, we had we had a plenty in the budget for everybody else. Just not you know you're gonna do them dirty. I, I see how it well, is. And Lupita. <laughs> and Lupita. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. Well, they, listen, they couldn't get back Duke? everybody. What was Winston Duke? <laughs> no, he I'm was there. Saying. Was he there? He was there. I, I did. Yeah. I'm I, like 99 positive he was there in the charge. Okay. Like ninety nine percent positive, but um, <laughs> I did find it very interesting how this movie did bring back as many people as it did. Like we were, we were talking about secondary characters in the Avengers, this movie managed to bring back Natalie Portman, even if it was B roll footage from another movie. Right, maybe. <laughs> she was at premiere, so I think that they actually recorded. I mean, like they actually filmed recorded. They actually filmed those scenes the, like when she, the I have been at the, seconds that she had yeah i think she yeah. was actually i i think it was b-roll movie. with body doubles uh bookending it for sure she's gonna get credited for it mm-hmm. yeah oh, the fact that she's even there though with also robert redford who yeah. comes back mm-hmm. uh, i mean i was like holy hell i can't believe the tie-ins that they're doing here to the past movies my theater lost it when they showed Loki for the first time. I was like, wow, I'm in the right place. Um, but it cracked me up. Like, it was almost like every character that came up for the first time, the theater I was in just was clapping and cheering. And I was like, yeah, they really did that. <laughs> and who would have thought that, I mean, I, oh, man. You want to talk about the emotion of bringing back previous characters for a minute? Uh, two that really, really were extremely important um, I, I would actually say Rene Russo's interaction with Dor was definitely important, oh, but the emotional, big. the emotional moment for me was Cap and Tony going back to what was it? Nineteen? I, I couldn't Seven. remember the decade. Nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. And Tony has that moment with his father, and so. Steve Steve Rogers doesn't even have a moment. He just sees Peggy. Oh my <laughs> God! Did my Peggy. heart go? <laughs> oh. Like, 
bye, Bucky. I'm going back to picking. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's <laughs> when I knew that how they were going to end it. That's yep. when I knew we were going to get Cap. Cap was going to get his good ending. Well, isn't it great too? Like the symmetry that. Robert, De- I keep calling him by their actors or the characters' names. Isn't it great that Tony Stark uh, gets to live his life for those five years and have his daughter uh, with Pepper Potts? And uh, Steve is deprived of having been able to live his life before. And at the end, he gets that chance. It was so beautiful. It was beautiful. And I have to say, one of the things that really got me with Tony is that he's all like, no, I'm not losing this. I'm not, you know, messing with time. And then that moment in the kitchen where he picks up the photo of him and Peter Parker. And then he goes and actually figures out the time travel. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, y'all know I love Spider-Man. I love Tony best in the kind of Uncle Ben role that he's been fulfilling, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the moment that I knew that he was he he had no chance of surviving. I mean, when he when he sees Cap. And he says, I lost the kid. I, I lost mean, the kid. I was screaming. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. They, you know, it's, you know, and his anger is really, yes, Matt, the the whole Civil War thing, which, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Civil War because I think that their whole, their whole kind of like the convoluted way that they are all mad at each other is like pointless. It's super mm-hmm. pointless. Um, but I don't think he's mad at him because of the Accords or any of that stuff. I think he's frustrated at the fact that he lost that he lost you know peter parker and through all this and you know he's he's trying to say i told you so but he's also in immense grief and i think he reverts you know, back to the last conflict because he all reverts back to his yeah. first uh, initial meeting of him he reverts back to the arrogant ass that he was before yep. being a part of this group is that this is all about me 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 it's it's exactly what nick fury tells him that he can't be is about himself. He needs to be about the team. And by the end of the film, he is the most, you know, selfless person. They had already done this in Civil War where they were able to tell not just an Iron Man movie, but a Captain America movie and have both mm-hmm. actors receive uh, character development and full arcs throughout. And I was really worried heading into this that this would be one character's movie over the other. Mm-mm. And I was so thoroughly impressed because I think we, maybe not all of us. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like Celia's gonna be like, I didn't know, but like I think almost all of us, uh, predicted that this was the end for Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. Oh yeah, yeah at least Evans, yeah. I think it was Evans. like straight up announced, wasn't it? Like, didn't they like, say that I'm, this was their last Evans. one? No, and I thought that that tied up very beautifully because the conflict had been started in Civil War, and it's like these two de facto leaders of the group are inter- their fates are intertwined with one another. And I'm actually glad that they didn't so much tie the two of them together with this film, but they gave them each their own separate story arcs and conclusions that it's not like they both just died in the battle it it benefited the whole series from the beginning with tony wrapping things up with his father and him himself becoming a father and chris evans going back to peggy living that life and then passing the mantle like i i i thought it was so gracefully done because having both of them quote-unquote die in the same movie um i thought would have been maybe a tad bit gratuitous maybe so giving each the ending that they received i i actually thought it was very tastefully well done yeah well you no, want to be you want to be careful because if you give because i honestly thought more of them were gonna die like i thought more mm-hmm. like first gen avengers weren't gonna exist anymore but i think it's good that they did it the way they did it because 
you want to be careful you don't lean into like X-Men Dark Phoenix mode where it's just like <laughs> you can tell that they're just killing the actors who don't want to be in the movies anymore. <laughs> and like I already feel kind of iffy on Marvel and their like promotion of their future movies because that totally ruined Infinity War for me knowing that like Spider-Man has another movie next year like Black Panther 2 is already confirmed like so I'm well, I think, glad it, I think if your movie this. makes a billion dollars, I think you're going to get confirmed that you're going to make a scene. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. And, and then when actually... you disappear at the end of it, it's like, all right, well, we know what the first hour of the next movie is going to be, right? So, but To be fair, though, those announcements were more like trade announcements. They've actually not announced anything other than Spider-Man Far From Home. They have nothing officially announced yeah, for the future. That, that is kind of true. I mean, whatever we have next, I mean, they don't know. That's why I think a one to two year gap to kind of rebuild yes. anticipation in, oh, ter in terms you, of in terms of just letting it live, letting it breathe, letting this ending, you know, obviously well, whatever. Spider-Man's coming let, out let, July, so well, sorry. I, no, but <laughs> Spider-Man Spider is supposed to end phase three. Yeah. They can do, here's what they can do with Spider-Man, though, that I think would be uh, well done. And I don't want to get hung up on a prediction for Spider-Man Far From Home, but um, – dealing with the aftermath of losing his mentor and maybe telling a story of Peter becoming uh, more of a man in that, you know, he has to rise to that level now that his mentor is gone. I think that's actually a good story as far as growth and moving on in the aftermath of Endgame and the hope that that can provide for uh, other characters in this post-world without Captain America and Iron Man. And we also get to see what uh, what the world looks like with half of the population being gone for five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I worry mean, about the scope of like whether a Spider-Man film could truly do the scope that could close Marvel out for a couple of years. Oh, no, I don't think it's going to do that. I think it's going to just be more like aftermath and setup. They more already so have announced that they have for... two movies coming out in 2020 and two movies coming out in 2021. They already have the dates for those releases. They just haven't said what they're going to be. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we, and we had to assume that one of them is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or as or Guardians, as Guardians of, the of, the of the Galaxy. You know, which will be really interesting. But, I mean, Matt, I know you talked about that there was a moment that you had that was bigger than Thor's, you know, entrance into Wakanda, which I, there's like 20, 30 minute videos of just reactions from theater crowds on YouTube that you can kind of watch and just get pumped up for this movie. Is that like when they all get snapped back into reality? It's the moment when, okay. So it's not just them all coming through the portals. Um, that was that was good. That, that was really was good for really me. Really good. It was when Alan Silvestri's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Alan Silvestri's score comes in. The dun 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 dun, and then it like pauses, and then Cap says, "Assemble," and then it just roars it, and they all charge, and they're like, and I just was like, "Oh my god!" That's when I was literally reduced to tears of just majestic joy because it was so beautiful to me. And then Thanos is just like he points his you know thing, and the armies just start colliding. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so fucking epic!" I just lost my mind. They did a really good job showing Thanos like seem really cocky and then like totally put his foot in his mouth after that. Like, I think yeah. that was really good. I have a question about that actually, because this was something that I think maybe did um, influence the eight out of 10 score I gave it initially. Did anyone feel like they were deprived of something with Thanos in the sense that he had no idea who these people were? 
in that climactic yeah, battle. That was. That um, I mean, was a little, I mean, I don't. He think knew it who is, they I were think. from Nebula's memories. From, ne- from, ne- yeah. from Nebula's memories. Yeah, I think that something I just thought of, and I don't get to say deep things about Marvel movies very often. <laughs> so let me. Have it. <laughs> um, something I just thought of. I think it's really interesting how Doctor Strange, during the battle, you know, Tony Stark walks up to Doctor Strange and is like, "Is you need to tell me if this is the one." And he's like, if I tell you, it won't be the one. Mm-hmm. And by not, and you know, by not telling him, or at least by telling him at the correct moment, like he later does, mm-hmm. which there was a moment where I was a little angry about it, but then I got over it pretty quickly because I was like, you just said, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it caused Tony Stark to like fight harder and try harder. But, but then Thanos, he saw Nebula's memories and he saw that he won. And so I really feel like, Oh. He walked into this extremely he walked cocky. into this thing extremely cocky because he was like, I know that they're gonna fail and I know that they're that I'm gonna win. I'm and inevitable. he was and he was not prepared. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to do his like big, big bad, I get to say my catchphrase, and then it ended up I wanted to say too, in terms of the Iron Man moment with uh Doctor Strange, I actually had a callback moment mentally in my mind where uh I think it's the first Avengers film where Cap says to Tony, you're not the type to lay down uh, so another man, uh, like lay down on the wire so another man can crawl over you. And then Tony's like, I think I would just cut the wire is what he says. (laughs) And that, thinking back to that and thinking back to just Avengers 1 with the arrival of the, what are they called again? The Chitauri or something like that? Yeah, the Chitauri. Yeah. 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 Uh, Thinking back to uh, how that, whole idea of there are threats beyond the earth and in space and it's just beyond tony's comprehension and the fallout of that with iron man 3 and then civil war age of ultron and so on and so forth they've been telling this incredible story arc with tony uh ever since he had that first encounter in the first avengers film and culminating in this moment where yes if strange does reveal to tony how they do it there's a chance that tony won't do it because he probably will think to himself, "Oh, well we're going to win. So why do I have to do that?" Well, it makes it it makes it about it makes it less about results and more about motivation, which mm-hmm. which um you know, everybody, you know, I made my complaint about Infinity War having no stakes. Everybody comes always comes back to me and says, "It's not about the results, it's about the feelings the characters had." And I never really believed that after Infinity War because they never really like showed it you know like there wasn't there wasn't really much reaction to it there was just imagining what the reaction will be and then this movie actually delivers on those reactions so like i'm significantly less upset about infinity war than i was on its own yeah but i i think that they did do a really good job of refocusing it to less about the results and more about the character motivation and dr strange is like i can't tell you how we do it all I can tell you is like, you need to try. I think that's a good way of centering it. Tying into uh, characters that we lost uh, in this movie and characters that we lost in the previous film that are still gone, like Vision, Gamora. Loki. Um, Loki. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, I just want to I, I just want to say this as a public service announcement. Fuck Vormir, okay? <laughs> Fuck that place. <laughs> that place sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, losing Gamora in Infinity War and now to lose, uh, which was truly a shocker to me. I did not predict this at all, especially considering they announced her spinoff movie. 
Scarlett Johansson, I I was I I was emotionally just stunned. The way they went back and forth, I thought for sure that they were going to somehow balance out each other because they both sacrificed. I really was foreseeing a happy ending, and and I was also shocked when it ended up that way. As soon as they rolled up there, I knew it was going to happen like that because the thing is, like, Natasha knows that Clint has a family to go back Mm -hmm. to, but Clint is the only thing that she has to go back to, so if he's gone, it doesn't matter anyway. And they set it up at the beginning. They're very like, I didn't have anybody until I had you guys, and so it's like, well, then she doesn't... (laughs) She can very easily sacrifice herself. And I had Was anybody mad, though, that they did not give any sense of closure to uh, her storyline with Bruce Banner, though, that they set up? I I totally have something about that, because I was thinking about that in the car, Matt. And one, I was really upset that they killed off Scarlett Johansson in in this film, um, just because I'm I'm really just tired of two women characters that are strong and, and awesome dying so that men can get infinity stones like that was to me i was kind of pissed off about that mm-hmm. um and but with, with that when renner goes back and tells that and they're all kind of huddled up like the the core avengers on the sitting at the dock of the bay it looked like um hulk throws that um that the bench, bench. Mm-hmm. and what i found so interesting about then this is a callback to of course avengers uh, ultra age of ultron in that while Hulk and Banner have become one, you can tell in that moment how deeply pissed and sad not just Banner is, but how Hulk is, you know, and throwing that to me because, you know, the sun's going down, you know, they had a connection just between the Hulk and Romanoff. And then, of course, Banner and, and Romanoff have this relationship as well in that film. And I do feel that there is a connection in there and it's not a a definitive end, but there is true sorrow and sadness played by the Hulk in that moment that that got me a little bit just thinking, oh my God, that's that's not just Banner throwing that thing. That's also Hulk because they are one and connected. And so it was really sad. I would have liked maybe like 20 or 30 more seconds of maybe him saying how much she meant to him and maybe how much he, you know, he did love her and, and everything. Or something along those lines, but I, I think that it was it was a moment of anger from the Hulk that we didn't get a lot in this film, and that we haven't gotten in a while. And he is truly angry and well, sad, and I a lot actually, of things when she dies. I actually really like that this film kind of focuses less on Natasha as a you know as a love interest for someone, mm-hmm. and focuses more on her relationship with Hawkeye, which I think is really beautiful because it's this very strong platonic love that they have for each other um and i think that we don't often get that in films like too often it becomes about oh but what is the romantic connection there and whatever um and i think that's especially annoyed me with the character of natasha romanoff um in the avengers films and i just thought that that was a really touching moment like i don't think i've had a friendship moment in a film that made me cry that much since in deathly hollows part two when harry comes to tell you know hermione hermione and ron that he's going to give himself over and Hermione offers to go with him um, mm. and is willing to die so that he's, you know, not alone. And to me, it felt very much almost that kind of same energy and that like for Natasha, this, this friendship with Hawkeye is the most important thing in her life and her relationship with his family as well, because we know from films before, you know, she is auntie Nat to his kids. Mm-hmm. And to me, I really love that we got to see her 
not in the light of sexy black widow, but you know, in a more emotional way, if that makes sense. As a leader of the Avengers, as mm-hmm. a leader of the Avengers. Yeah. I understand that Hawkeye has to get back to his family and I understand that that's why she makes the decision. Yeah. Uh, I had, I, I have two things to say about this scene and that is that, um, Actually, three things. One, I appreciated Renner's performance uh, yeah. and and the reaction to it. Uh, two is that I didn't feel that this was a good redemption for the Hawkeye character and what he had become. And I felt like instead of that character making the decisions to go on a redemption arc, it's like other external forces uh, just kind of pushed him back to normalcy again. Um and I actually think it would have been just more emotionally satisfying for him to be the one to go down instead of Natasha um, from that from that standpoint. We are getting the Hawkeye TV series, though, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. On Disney+. Plus. So I think... And I suppose the Natasha spinoff movie is going to be a prequel. I've always so. thought it would be a prequel about her training. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what they've always said is that so it I is hope... a prequel. I hope that they are going to deal with the fact that, you know, he has kind of been forcibly redeemed by you know, this person that he cares about very much, right. then he, I want them to kind of explore that survivor's guilt Yes, that he's yeah. going to have. And then the third thing I was going to touch on was I really did, and I can understand why some people would say this was fan service, but I really genuinely did enjoy the moment in the battle where all of the female characters yes. uh, took a stand and they were all together in the same shot. But there was, there was, there was I had two problems with it though. And I'm a little mixed on it because of this. One is that, uh, I'm sorry, it's one problem. And that is that Natasha's not there. And I I, I felt like it was incomplete. But if you want to argue to me that it's more of a passing of the baton moment and look how far we've come in the MCU from one female character to what it has become today. I, I did like the symbolism of that. I think it's her legacy there. I also have to say I love that bit because, you know, Peter Parker is there still, like, on the ground. And I was like, <laughs> wow, truly, with, with the deaths that we've had in this film, this scene right here is what I care about in Marvel now. Like, all these ladies <laughs> and Peter Parker. And Peter Parker. <laughs> I, tweeted, I tweeted about um, there was a, the guy who sat next to me in the theater while I was watching this. When that happened, just literally verbatim said, ha! And honestly, uh, anytime a man just says females, it's very stressful for me. So, what, um, what, yeah. so what I, uh, about I, I felt, I felt like it was honestly, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm a cynic, but I really just felt like it was a big, like, you know, company, like business move. And, you know, it was them saying F you to like, all the Captain Marvel hate and all that stuff. I mean, oh, there you go. I mean, yeah. Yeah. loved it. Like I, it just, it just felt very like played. I don't. Know. Was, I hope it's it, an indication it? of where they're going with Marvel in the future. Oh well, I mean, they've already said that Captain Marvel is going to be now the new stand-in leader for the Avengers. Now that uh, Robert Downey Jr. is no longer part of the MCU, and I also want to just say too, uh, I was really worried after watching Captain Marvel how they were going to handle her in this movie yes. because they really did set her up to be the Thanos killer. Like if we've got Captain Marvel, we can't lose. And they smartly used her at the beginning and at the end because 
She ain't got time for planet Earth. Planet Earth has the Avengers. Mm -hmm. The rest of the universe does not have a group of mighty heroes like that. I thought that was actually very well kept with the character. That was great. Yeah, I, I that that really endeared me to the character so much. You have your you have your core six Avengers, and this is really their swan song, and this is the tribute to them and everything they've done. And it would have really felt cheap if Captain Marvel just came in and punched Thanos in the face and saved the day. <laughs> and really, honestly, like they handled her so well, and I I was worried about that too. And I thought it was great in their explanation, as you already mentioned. She's off helping other people, and and the Avengers all agreed, and I think the audience can all agree with that. So it was really great how they handled her and her powers because she really is as we saw i mean thanos uh, was just trying to blast her and and like that headbutt she, she wouldn't even move yeah. and so it shows you how strong she is and and uh, i'm so happy like i am so happy with how they handled every single character because that was one of my concerns for her but uh you know with handling cap and and iron man and i think this movie when you talk about uh you know iron man's sacrifice and how beautiful of a bookend this is i mean if if someone was going to die if either cap or iron man and I predicted Iron Man a while ago was going to die. I think it has to be him because he started this whole thing and he's ending this Infinity Saga. And I, I thought it was a beautiful tribute to everything that Robert Downey Jr. has done for this franchise and the character and how he built this whole MCU. And I could not be more happy with that. And how about ending it too on that line? Just, I am Iron Man. Oh, Amazing. beautiful. It's so, the symmetry of it all is just incredible. I also love that they actually, you know, the reactions to his death. First of all, that bit with Peter Parker where he's like, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark, Tony. It felt oh. like watching Simba react to Mufasa dying all over yeah. again. Um, but then they gave Gwyneth Paltrow some really nice moments as Pepper Potts in this, you know, in the beginning, but then also kind of reacting to Tony's death. And I was so happy because I think so often she doesn't get to really do her her full thing as a, as a really talented actress in these movies. And I love that they actually gave her, you know, a moment to grieve that. I like that she was strong for him yeah. in mm-hmm. his last moments yeah. and reassuring him, you don't need to fight anymore. Yeah. yeah, we won. We're we're gonna be okay. And and because and that just that actually was what brought me to tears. And when she said the line, "You can rest now," which was something that they talked about earlier in the film about how he's like, "I can't sleep. I can't rest. I have to figure out this time travel nonsense." Right. Well, you know? she's she's important because that ties back to that exact scene, like you said. I mean, she is the one that even motivated Tony to figure out time travel. So, uh, his character, you know, is is happy with his life and he doesn't want to sacrifice what he has. But it's her. It's her. Uh, conversation she has that says, you know, could can you just let all this happen? Will you be able to sleep? And and which realize he makes him realize he has to do this. And so yeah, that line at the end that he can rest now was was another beautiful moment. She so was so badass lines. that she was on the battlefield with him. And then there's those callbacks in the beginning of the film with his daughter, where you know he's like, I'm making something for mommy, you know, and she never yeah. really wears my clothes and stuff like that. And it's of course it's a suit, and we've been wanting Pepper to be a part of this. You know, because, you know, before Natasha, I mean, she was the first real woman of Marvel. You know, she was um, she was the most important female character. And then, of course, Iron Man 2 happened and and we got Natasha throughout the rest of the series with the Avengers. And Pepper's kind of taken more or less a supporting back role and having her in here and having those moments where she's telling him, you know what, I, I'm not going to fight you on this anymore. Like she is in the beginning of, you know, Infinity War. She's like, I know you want to do this. I know you have to do this. And then being there for him at the end and also the embracing of Peter Parker at the oh, end God. too and how much she, you know, 
mentor, you know, through Tony, how much he means to Tony and, and, and all that. And but going back just real quick to Captain Marvel's intro, you know, you guys talked about like how Thanos got cocky and everything and looking through the memories. Next time, maybe look through all the memories, bro, because then you can see how powerful <laughs> this girl really is. And that reaction shot of when the 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 Thanos' huge ship is just shooting at the sky, that's the Thor entering Wakanda scene, her just flying straight through that thing like she yes. does like in Captain Marvel where Ronan's like, okay, maybe we should just retreat, you know? <laughs> and coming in there and then, you know, her coming up to Peter Parker with that smile of hers, which there, she smiled. Are you happy, fanboys? You know, and, <laughs> and she went out there and just with all those badass women, and I don't think... Maybe it is a you know a, a middle finger to all those fanboys. Maybe it's not. All I know is it is such a cool scene, and it is one that I generally love the most out of the entire battle. Besides, on your left, you know, which yeah. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, Sam saying on your left, which is a great callback to Winter Soldier, and then you know Tony him sacrificing himself. I think you know we all kind of saw that coming for the most part. I think it's a beautiful uh, way to end his character and doing what he wanted to do, which is save this world and save everybody around it. But I think that, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, Tony died. What are they going to do with Cap? Because Chris Evans has been saying that, you know, this is it for him. Yeah, for and I years thought, and years. You know, the way they wrapped him up with, with Peggy was perfect. But then also, too, in the battle, did when he wields Thor's hammer, <laughs> we oh. not talked about the hammer in that he is worthy, and that's a callback to Ultron again. Yep. Like, how many damn callbacks to that forgetful movie are we going to do? And it just shows the levels that this movie has in committing to its overall story to the end game, and that's that's fantastic. And man, that's such a badass scene. And then like Thor. Like, you know, they accidentally get the weapon switch up and he's just like, no, no, you take the little one. You know, I'm <laughs> well, and you, t you talk about the callbacks and how did they do all these callbacks to 21 films without it being a complete mess? It's amazing. Yeah. OK, yeah. talking about mess with callbacks. I was a mess in the end. When, you know, cause in Captain America, there's that bit where Bucky says, don't do anything stupid while I'm gone. And Steve says, how can I when you're taking all the stupid with you? And to have that reversed. Um, you know, at that end bit, I was like, okay, thank you. That's the moment, the Steve and Bucky moment I've been waiting for. Oh, and I wanted them to kiss on the lips. Bucky knew, and that yeah. was just so perfect to, yeah. uh, for their relationship. Just, and then everybody else is like, da, 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 da. we'll see him in a minute. And Bucky's like, nah, no. he, he's gone. He's doing his thing, and he should and, do his thing. No, and then to have him pass on the shield to Sam. Oh. Well, and, and approve think, it. And approve it because Bucky, yeah, Bucky yeah. approving it. And I mean, now yeah, of course that's what they're gonna do for their spinoff series. Who cares? But it's such a beautiful moment because not just of what Bucky and Cap have gone through within the Russo's arc, but it's also been Falcon and Cap's story through the Russo's arc, you know, and how they have become close and you know, just how you know it's I think it's a better version of what happens at the end of like Dark Knight Rises in passing on yeah. the torch of Captain America because we've spent so much time with Sam and just 
what they mean to each other. That's a, you know, three people that, you know, and of course coming from civil war where like Bucky's like, I don't really like you. And they, you know, they're two friends that have, you know, that are part of a relationship of one guy that they both really like to see that progression and how the inclusion of Sam as captain America now was, was awesome. And, and there's more of that here too, with Dora passing uh, the leadership oh of Asgard oh, to that, Valkyrie. That, yeah. That was great too. And Tessa Thompson in any movie, hands down that's that's just Absolutely. a great idea that's the up. movie i want like yeah. just yeah. tessa thompson ruling asgard like riding a unicorn <laughs> like i'm ready <laughs> um and just also too i i want to now just kind of as we wrap it up here um i want to tie up loose ends with um maybe a favorite moment that you know maybe we didn't get a chance to touch on because there's so many throughout this movie but my favorite callback in the whole movie is the call back to Winter Soldier in the elevator. And oh we think that he's going to fight all the guys again. And instead, this smarter, wiser Captain America leans in and just says, Hail Hydra. Oh and I lost it. I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> it was amazing. Genius. Uh, did anybody else have a moment in the movie that we haven't touched on? Uh, I, I know we're maybe running out of moments, but is there anything um, in, in your notes or anything like that that we just haven't spoken about that you want to just touch on? I love the moment when Hulk finally says to Tilda Swinton, why did Doctor Strange give the stone away if it's so important? And yeah. she's like, oh, he did that? And she's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> She was like, okay, then you could have the stone. Like, I can't, like, even a, a different, on a different day, that would have bugged me because they argued for essentially no reason. I kind of hate when, like, if only you would say this one sentence, I would give you what you want, usually. But, but I don't know. It, it really struck me as, like, okay, this is like a destiny thing that we're playing with here. I think that for me, uh, something I didn't expect but absolutely loved is uh, Gomorrah. That Gamora mm -hmm. is back, but it is not that Gamora. It's not the Gamora mm -hmm. we know. And that when, you know, Peter is, Quill is so excited to see her and she's just like, <laughs> ew, ew, this guy? Him or a tree. Well, yeah, exactly. Him or a tree. But I love that. And for me, it sets up that, like, and she's not there. If you notice at the yeah. end when everybody's going their own ways and Thor is on the ship, there's no Gamora there. Mm -hmm. And going to be an I, interesting third movie i am yeah. really hoping that they do not push this in the direction of like oh now she's just gonna let, fall in love again like no she should not fall in love with him again they should be different people because she's not uh, the same I, person anymore. right she was forced into making that decision of whether or not she's going to support thanos or change <laughs> before she came to it all on her own so she is no longer that person and never will be. And so I loved that they did that and that they allowed it to be its own thing and let this Gamora be her Gamora and not the character that we've come to know. Because now we get to get know her all over again. Mm -hmm. I'm also just looking forward to it being not only Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but also the fourth Thor movie. I'm really looking forward to that crossover and the interactions that those characters have because uh, that's actually my favorite aspect of Infinity War, other than uh, Josh Brolin's performance as Thanos, is the character development of Thor and Hemsworth's performance, and a lot of that was tied to the Guardians in that film, so I'm very much looking forward to uh, the interactions that they will all have together in that uh, final film. Nicole, 
Was there a, a favorite moment that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I think my favorite moment that we have, you know, we've we've kind of hinted at, but is that final scene in this movie where you, you know, you just get put back into time, presumably where Steve went, and it looks kind of 1950s-ish, and it's just him and Peggy. And mm-hmm. that, as you know, I make no secret. Ballsy moved to end the movie on the credits with, you know, an old school song too, yeah. not like a rousing rah rah oh, kind God. of a moment. Like, as mm-hmm. you know, I very much come to these films as a cap girl through and through. Like, that's my entire investment, other than Peter Parker. Um, and that was the most fulfilling thing for me was that, you know, Cap finally got what he really has been yearning for since the, you know, the beginning of all of this. And, also just wonderful to see Haley Atwell back even in like a small way. And I just sat there and cried. Like I was like, thank you. know, that was really one of the things that I was like, thank you at, you know, Russo brothers, just everyone involved because this was, I felt like the kind of cathartic moment that we needed to end the film on. For me, for me, this movie is so full of moments. It's really hard to put your finger on one, uh, but but really, uh, is as maybe basic as this may sound, that ending battle when uh, you don't know what's going to happen, when when the consequences are dire, and and Thanos has his whole army, and you're just like, how, what are these guys going to do? And when those you know Doctor Strange portals open up, that's another really big emotional moment for me. Uh, when you just see all these characters, because you kind of forget that they're back when when the snap happens. When when Bruce does the the snap and things seem to be back to normal and everything, you kind of forget what that means for the heroes and the way that they come back kind of out of nowhere because of those portals. I I just that sent chills through me and and uh, I absolutely loved that. And then you know the whole battle was phenomenal. Preceding uh, that moment, uh, I think that Avengers Endgame gave me one of my favorite shots of 2019, and it's the shot of little tiny. Captain America all by himself in a wide shot staring down mm-hmm. Thanos' army by himself. It just... That was mm-hmm. really good. So epic. Oh my God. And was it just such a perfect uh, visual for who that character is? Mm-hmm. I love that. Ryan? Okay. <laughs> um, there, there, There's two scenes, or there's like three. There's two small moments and a, and a big moment. Okay, so one is when they're doing the heist and Tony Stark flicks uh, Ant-Man on command. When he says, flick me, I thought that that was just really cool and really cute. Um, when um, War Machine and uh, Nebula are reenact or seeing the reenactment of the beginning of the first Guardians of the Galaxy was truly hysterical. <laughs> Without having that music on in the background, it looks like a complete dork dancing around. Um, and he's just like, yeah, this guy's an idiot, right? And she's like, yeah. That was great. <laughs> but I think the the one moment we haven't talked about or the one character we really haven't talked about is Rocket. Hmm. <laughs> and we haven't talked about how uh, Mr. Bradley Cooper uh, has done a fantastic job as Rocket Raccoon in this film. And there's a moment, it's right at the beginning of the film, uh, uh, when um, Danvers brings back Tony and, and Nebula to Avengers headquarters and it's that moment where Nebula and Rocket hold each other's hands. There's not a word said between the two of them because they've lost every single person in their life. And then Rocket tells him that later, you know, I lost the only family I've ever had. And it's such an, and to me, that was an emotional moment within that Thor, you know, kind of arc with Rocket is that last time in Infinity War, 
it's Thor telling Rocket about how he's lost his entire family. And now the tables have turned. It's a really beautiful moment. And just knowing the stakes that, you know, Rocket's always the smuggler and he's always been this guy and that's been detached or trying to resist having a family. And for once he has something to fight for that's not himself, you know, and it's and it's do or die because he'll never be able to bring back Quill and the others, but especially bring back Groot and having Groot coming back because Groot is kind of turned into like a kid for him. So it's like <laughs> once again, a father like losing his son and trying to get that moment back. You know, fathers and sons are a big part of this film. Uh, friendship, family, like I stated, it's it's just a beautiful, there's so many beautiful little moments in the film, guys. I just want to say, also Nebula shooting her past self. Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Very cool. That was great. And the rule, the rules part of my brain was screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I, that's still one of the things cool I'm like. Scene. <laughs> the rules part of my brain started screaming when Loki disappeared with the stone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, the and the question. Brain, the rules part of my brain was screaming when they were trying so hard to get the stones into the van, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah. "You're dealing with time travel. You can get to that whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as you do it before you die, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> Why are you running across the battlefield? That That's was, very true. That was a rules. That was a rules brain implosion there. Okay. Uh, well, now we've now arrived to the final portion of this uh, epic podcast review, uh, which is we got to talk about the Oscar potential for Avengers Endgame. Uh, Infinity War last year received the Best Visual Effects nomination. 50% of us predicted it would win. The other 50% predicted First Man. And it was perfectly balanced in every single way, as Thanos would say. Uh, but one side was right and the other side was wrong. So looking at Avengers Endgame... I really, I really have to say, I, I genuinely believe this now, now, just now. Obviously, we're still got a lot more year ahead of us, but I think this could be in contention for a Best Picture domination. I said it. Oh, I said it. I got. Oh. I said it. <laughs> oh no. I really do. Like no. I mean, here's the problem, right? Because everyone's gonna tell me, listen, Matt, Lord of the Rings got nominations for Fellowship, Two Towers, and then it won with Return to King. Avengers has never had that kind of track record, and I fully understand that argument, and I know a lot of people are going to say just because Black Panther got nominated last year doesn't mean it's going to happen again, just like how just because Get Out got a nomination uh, in 2017 does not mean that a horror movie is going to get nominated every year for Best Picture, et cetera, et cetera. I, I understand. I get it. But what I will say is I do believe that this franchise, and now viewing it from the outside perspective and seeing the completion of Kevin Feige's vision for this whole franchise, I think it deserves something, something. And people will also say the money is the reward. I get that. I'm not an idiot. And I'm sure they'll be content with all the money they're making anyway. That's fine. Um, I, I, I just really want that validation from the Academy. And, you know, maybe we did get it last year with Black Panther, but I really want that validation that, Entertainment can be art. Yeah, I think I think you're not wrong there, Matt. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of people are going to talk about this because it's it's such a culmination ending for this for this story, this franchise, and it's gotten glowing reviews too. Let's put that out there. It's it's sitting in the high high 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a pretty good Metacritic score. So this is done pretty well with critics. I will say that. 
visual effects, sound, tech categories, it'll be there. For best picture, though, I'm going to put a caveat here. And this is a big one. And it ties back to that last point you were just making, Matt. I think if somehow, some way, Avengers Endgame can be the one to finally top Avatar at the box office, then I think it can get nominated for Best Picture. Because Mm -hmm. then you're going to have the critical acclaim, the massive box office numbers. We'll be talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that's exactly what you need, right? Mm -hmm. You need a narrative for weeks and weeks to come. So it's going to make a billion dollars. I've even heard $1.1 billion in its opening weekend worldwide. So that means it's got 1.6 to go. Okay. Um, and it could, and it could do it. Cause you know, there's not a lot coming out next week. There's tons of screenings still sold out going into the week. Um, so I, I can totally see it happening. The three hour runtime could spoil that, but I think if it beats Avatar and stands on top, I think that Feige and company have a big campaign that they can use in saying it's the it's the end of a of a of a franchise for or a story for a generation. It's the biggest box office film of all time. It's also got the critic scores. Come at me, bro. And I think that they could do it. Well, I have bought my ticket to go see it again while we've been recording, so I am doing my bit. Um, (laughs) no more free press screenings guys go see it now a million times i also think that it stands maybe a decent shot at score Mm. alan silvestri was shortlisted last year people forget this and i do think the score is better here than it was even in infinity war it's actually my favorite score of the year so far Mm -hmm. i um i also have to say i know it's not gonna happen but you know, I think in uh, it definitely in my picks for the year, Robert Downey Jr. stands uh, a high chance at at least making it still into my top 10 by the end of the year because it's a really special performance and something I think unlike what we've gotten to see him do thus far. And I, I don't think that he'll actually get, you know, the Oscar nomination, but I do think that there will be a lot of people who have him in their picks. I think there's going to be a lot of critics groups at the end of the year that are going to go to bat for this movie in a lot of different categories. Uh, we mentioned the text, but stuff like the screenplay, which uh, whoever brought up before the juggling act that needs to be done in handling all of these different characters and completing those story arcs, that is a monumental feat of I would love to see in the writer's room what that whiteboard looked like with how many post-its and how many lines it's like Charlie Day in the you know in the often meme of just you know trying to connect the dots on everything I, I, I can't even imagine the evidence dungeon wall mm-hmm, exactly so I, I I feel like it could show up there I think it could show up in some critics groups uh, best picture because this is one of those cases like Ryan just said where it might be yeah, I, I, you know, we're going to see films in the later half of the year that are going to definitely be that typical Academy Fair type movie. But this could just be an example like Avatar, like Titanic, like Black Panther of the category of too big to ignore, which is also what Return of the King fell into. Now, I'm not saying that Avengers Endgame is going to win 11 Oscars, but that whole too big to ignore kind of a category. There's something to be said for that. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, this movie has done something that films have not done before with his, you know, tying the stories together. 22 films. I mean, again, there's there's franchises like Bond that are going on 25, but you can go into a Bond movie and never have seen another one. And, and the film can stand perfectly well on its own. But this really is a feat. And the way that the Russos have pulled this off, uh, along with I mean, definitely with the screenwriters, Marcus and McFeely, like the the, the juggling act that you mentioned, uh, it, it's a it's a masterful conclusion. And although it's not a perfect movie, I think it is a perfect conclusion for the Infinity Saga. I just worry about, I, I think that there is something to the whole, like, if it becomes number one at the box office, then it's too big to ignore. It is April. Yes. Oh, no, of course. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I mean, even Infinity War, while it was much more contentious among, like, critics versus general audiences and stuff like that, even Infinity War, after, like, a month, it had pretty much died down. And I do kind of feel a similar way about this. Like, everybody who wants to see it is going to see it right away. Um, and then it'll last in theaters for a long time because it's Marvel and there's a lot of rewatch time. But, like, it's going to be the same people seeing it over and over again. Like, everybody who wants to see it is going to see it in the first two weeks. And then after that, it's people rewatching it. So, I don't know. It just feels kind of like... You know, six weeks from now, we're going to be on something else. Six months from now, we're probably going to be, like, in a totally different headspace as far as what what best picture options we have. Oh, I'm not saying... Uh, you're definitely not wrong, 100%. And I mean, this was the exact same argument that a lot of us used for Black Panther last year, which was, is it worthy? Yes. It's February. Let's wait and see how this evolves. I don't know if I feel like it's worthy of Best Picture. Personally. I mean, Matt, here's the thing, is that usually it seems to be the trend now. We get one film from the beginning part of the year that makes it into the Best Picture race, right? Over the yes. last years, it's been Get Out. It's been, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel. It's been Black Panther. And so it'll become the question, is it going to be us? Is it going to be Avengers Endgame? Um, which one's going to have the bigger? I mean, it could be. I'm not. I'm not throwing. I'm not throwing that away. Um, it's not going to be us. Okay, I really, um, I really okay, feel Matt. like the fan service argument is going to hurt it. And I and I see that. Um, I don't. I see. I see that being also something that if it does get nominated, or you put it in the conversation. I mean, that's the other thing that last year, no comic book movie has ever been nominated before. You know, it, it, it's there are obstacles that get changed over time. I think that it's the same thing that kept The Force Awakens in the conversation for Best Picture until it didn't happen. This movie's going to be there because it's a cultural, big, relevant thing. And this is what the Academy has also been talking about in terms of they want movies that big time represent um, you know, the, the, you know, the audiences that go to see movies nowadays. And you have to remember, look at this cast. Look at how huge this cast is. That's a good point. How many of these people are part of the Academy now and how mm -hmm. Feike played the game last year? You have to remember, you know, Tessa Thompson and and <coughs> Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth and all these good people. They, Ruffalo, they're, they're Academy Award-nominated actors. The actors branch is a huge part of that. And this is a, a ginormous cast that has pretty much everybody returning. That's a big factor into this, too. I, I'm not saying it gets SAG nomination or anything. And I'm not saying, and, and, you know, it could get that ninth or eighth spot. And so I think to throw the, the fan service argument at it again for, for its best picture nomination, too, 
is, I think, entirely unfair because there was a movie called Bohemian Rhapsody in Green Book that got nominated last year and won one Best Picture. And well, I think that at this point, I'm not point, saying that it should. I'm not saying that it this. should hurt it. I'm just saying that it could. <laughs> I'm not out here saying that there's fan service. I'm saying, and I'm it. saying there was a bunch of things with Bohemian Rhapsody last year, and that whole thing rode to a four Oscar night. So I mean, there, we're in a we're in a a new ball game in terms of yeah. what's going to get nominated for Best Picture. Here's here's the ultimate thing. And I think Celia is actually a perfect representation of this in terms of the Academy uh, makeup is that superhero films have not been wholly embraced. And Black Panther was embraced last year by the Academy with a Best Picture nomination, uh, winning three uh, technical Oscars. Amazing achievement. Really, really great. It definitely has opened up doors. However, Black Panther was seen as a standalone film in many, many ways, where it wasn't as heavily tied into the other films within the MCU. You could watch Black Panther on its own, never have seen any of the other Marvel films, and I would say 95% of it you would get. And Mm -hmm. that was a very, very special experience for a lot of people. Endgame is so tied to the other films within the franchise that I think the biggest thing that Endgame has to overcome are people like Celia in in this example where they're not really on the train and they have to be converted to get on the train. And if there's a lot of people that it can't do that for, it's not going to make it. Um, I think that that's the key here. And I would be very, very interested in hearing back uh, feedback from our listeners on how many Marvel films have you seen? Were you on the train? Were you not on the train? And if you weren't on the train, did Avengers Endgame make a compelling enough argument to you Mm-hmm. that it would be worthy of being listed as a Best Picture nominee. I think that's the key. Yeah, because yeah. to me, I read Black Panther as very standalone. And honestly, there was so much pressure on the Academy to nominate it in light of the best popular film, in light of, you know, Oscar so white. Like, like there was there were a huge number of factors leading into Black Panther getting nominated. And I'm not saying, like, it was a diversity pick or anything. I'm just saying that the Academy clearly listens to what people say online. And that was all people were talking about last year is if, if is they're going to introduce best popular film so that black Panther won't get honored with best picture. And it's like, okay, well actually we will. So, so I think it depends on how many Academy members love the Marvel cinematic universe, love how this movie handled it and, you know, feel pressure from, people around them to to nominate it i think that that's what it's going to come down to i agree i agree and i think it i think it goes back to what you were saying also is that how long is this film going to stay in the conversation and i don't think that we've had many films in the conversation this year um that have stuck around you know i think us has done a a fine job of, of staying around just because they're you know uh within film twitter and within you know most most places but I think that this is this is a film that, I mean, I haven't seen a movie like this in a long time, guys. And and I say that I went on my app and I just looked at just out of curiosity what screenings were looking like for the next couple of weeks or whatnot, and just sold out amongst around the board like crazy amount of sold out. And I think that you could be looking at a Titanic Avatar kind of situation here. 
Um, and I, and, and not even just, not just for the story or whatever, because some of those stories are either very simple or very, you know, over the top, you know, kind of dumb, like avatar, but it's, you're nominating it for spectacle and that can happen. And if, if I think, August, yeah, if August rolls around and there's still a lot of people online saying, well, first of all, I haven't seen a single person say this should be best picture. I haven't seen any of that. The only thing I've seen is I, this isn't well, other than I, you, I but you literally host a podcast saying next best picture. Um, <laughs> all I, everybody I've seen has said, this is a great goodbye to the series. This is the perfect send off for fans. This is the perfect honoring of fans. It's all centered on MCU and it's not, and you know, maybe that'll wear off like as time goes on. But like if August, if we enter August and there's a huge chunk of people saying, man, I still think Endgame is my favorite of the year. I still think Endgame should win best picture. Then I think it'll, it'll mean something. But for now, it, That's seems, a good point. it seems very mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Everybody, everybody's just like it's a wait what and a see great thing. fan movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's too early in the year to discuss it. I think best picture, but I think at this point, we do have a track record of something from the early part of the year squeaking into the race, and it'll be interesting. I know Matt's already dismissed us, but us or uh, this film, or in a couple weeks, I think Booksmart could be a film that does that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see what one film it seems like and it's terrible that only one film from like the first half of the year gets nominated for best picture um breaks into the the eight or nine mold okay well uh, i want to thank you all for your patience and your endurance uh both the listeners and all of you on the uh podcast right now uh with this epic size review for avengers endgame i think that we've done it uh justice here today and i'm very very proud of our discussion that we've had surrounding it for all of those that are still listening to us right now, Nicole Ackman, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me talking about Captain America at <laughs> Nicole Ackman 16. That is America's ass. <laughs> so Put good. Put that on my gravestone. Because <laughs> it's my cause of death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Celia, where can they find you on the internet? Um, they can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Films Unstuck. And this was a really fun conversation. I think I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Katie Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And our two honorable guests, thank you so much for joining us today. Ryan McQuaid, where can they find you on the internet and tell them uh, a little bit about In Session Film? Uh, Yeah, you can go find me on Twitter at Ryan McQuaid 77. And In Session Film, obviously, it's it's the... The podcast that is run by J.D. Duran, who is uh, our, you know, kind of grand poobah over there, the guy in charge, the the big daddy. And he does uh, the, the main show with Brendan Cassidy. They do extensive deep dives that make me look extremely stupid uh, into films. And they're going to be doing probably the same, if not a bigger length episode this weekend coming up about in-game. And then uh, myself, along with Jay Ledbetter, we do our extra film show. Uh, which is where we do a lot of the independent films. And then as Matt has been a guest on before, I do the Chasing the Gold episode, which is our Oscar uh, podcast over there. Matt's been a guest, I, I think, a couple times, Matt. Is it once or twice I think you've been on? I think it's like twice or something like that. I, I think it's something. I know I've had Michael on. I've had Will on. Um, I'd love to have all of our guests on here because I thought that the conversation today was fantastic. And that's what we're always looking for over at In Session Film is deep dive beautiful discussions about film and while whether we disagree or agree on films at the end of the day we try to keep it as positive as possible because 
as we all know, film Twitter can get a little nuts. And um, so as much as our passion does show, um, there's just so much love because we get to talk about the thing that we love so much. And Kevin Brackett, tell them where they can find you on the internet and tell them a little bit about real spoilers. Well, first of all, this has been an extremely fun conversation. So thank you for having me be a part of it. Always great to talk to you all. Uh, you can follow me online at Kevin R. Brackett on Twitter, and you can follow my show, Real Spoilers, at Real Spoilers on Twitter. That's real with two E's. And as the title implies, we spoil movies. We don't beat around the bush. We don't do spoiler-free reviews. We go in-depth. We like to think of it as a book club for movies. Uh, these are conversations that uh, maybe you would have with your friends, but uh, we, we sit around, and for about an hour each week, we tackle the latest film, usually uh, whatever we think will be the biggest film at the box office, the most popular film. And we just analyze and discuss scene by scene. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun and uh, very conversational. And you could find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Avengers Endgame here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Provide some feedback, a five-star rating. We really, really appreciate that. As well as your support, which you can provide over a Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you once again, as always, and we shall see you all next